Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to another edition of the Leaders Performance Podcast, an oral insight into the world of elite performance in sport and beyond. My name is John Porch and I'm the lead writer here at Leaders. As ever, for more information on how to become a member and get daily access to cutting-edge best practice and original research in the fields of leadership and culture, talent and recruitment, coaching and development, human performance, tech, data and analytics, visit leadersinsport.com forward slash performance. That's leadersinsport.com forward slash performance. Anyway, with that housekeeping out of the way, we hope you made it along to the Leaders Performance Summit in New York last month. There was plenty on the agenda, including a panel from the FDNY, the Fire Department of New York, discussing team dynamics and operating under pressure. There were plenty of lessons for sport in there, but if you missed out, then do log on to our performance hub to view the videos in your own time. Maybe even after your visit here has whetted your appetite. Anyway, with the new NFL season starting, we return to this session from LA in 2016, where General Managers Les Sneed of the LA Rams and Tom Telesco of the San Diego Chargers joined Steve Guerra on stage to chat about talent recruitment and building a winning team. Sneed was not fazed by his mentor Thomas Dimitrov sitting in the front row as he and Telesco chatted about their early days as GMs and the lessons they learned on the hop. And as they warmed to their subject, they delved into what makes a great scout and how GMs can evaluate positions such as medical staff when they have no actual grounding in that discipline themselves. No doubt many of you will relate to this as they discuss their biggest mistakes as GMs a little later on, before both men admit that they haven't quite enjoyed their Michael Jordan moment yet, but feel they've probably both had their Charles Barkley moment, which may or may not be a bad thing. We'll let you decide. So enjoy, and do please go back and check out our previous episodes, including chats with MasterChef Raymond Blanc, as well as New York Giants co-owner John Mara and GM Jerry Reese. Anyway, once again, enjoy, and we look forward to welcoming you on another Leaders Performance podcast in the near future. Please welcome uh, Tom, Les, and Steve to the stage. First off, thanks to you both for uh, obviously um, taking the time to come out here today. Um, so first time GM for both of you. So question I like to ask people is, what was the biggest surprise when you transitioned from scout to GM? What, what surprised you the most in your first year? Can we go? Yeah. I, I should have known one of my mentors is sitting right here in front row, so I'm, it's kind of intimidating when the guy who trained you is right here staring at you. But I saw what he went through because I had an office uh, next to him, and, and you could get into time management. And let me just, as a scout, your main focus, let's say, is a draft. And, and it's like, hey, a, a, a paper that you got due in college, and you know it's due on this date, and that date stares at you. And you've been doing it for 20-so years. So you got a rhythm, and you know the, the timeline of what you need to get done and, and, and when to do it and all of that. And, you, and a lot of times you're in a silo, there's often, you go out and visit schools and, and vet and talk to people and all of that, but there's a lot of moments where you're in a, in a film room alone, uh, kind of dark like this, and staring at film and watching, and you get to focus and all of that. But with all that said, I think the number one thing I really did learn is because you go into a job where everybody in the building's relying on you, or a lot of people are asking you questions, and time management, that would be a boring answer. I really learned for the first time in my life to delegate and prioritize. And number one was this is I 
we've all heard, hey, big rocks and small rocks. And truly what I tried to do is, here's, here's boulders, and these are big rocks, and these are small rocks. And if we get this boulder right here, and we may let this big rock here wilt a little bit because we're not going to pay too much attention to it right now, we'll actually have a chance to cultivate it. Because uh, when you first get your job, your, your clock starts, and you only have so many years to get it done. So that was the first time I truly learned, hey, what real priorities are and what, you know, what ones are not. I'll tell you, that, that's interesting because, uh, you know, I, I was trained from, from Bill Pulling for 14, 15, actually more than probably 18 years. Um, and my large portion with the Colts, my office was right across from his office and, and his son, Chris Pulling. So, you know, I got a chance to learn a lot of things just by being there every day. Um, all the things that may go on with being a general manager that isn't necessarily scouting. But I'll say this, my first day uh, with the Chargers, I'm in my office, we've got, I've got these nice windows to look on the practice fields, and I look out there, I look down at the grass, and I'm like, these practice fields are awful. You know, I mean, it was, it was uneven, it was brown in different areas, I'm like, we, our players are gonna practice on this? So within the next hour, I'm meeting with our groundskeepers on this, uh, the stability of the grass and pH levels and iron in the grass and, and uh, uh, moisture levels, I'm like, you know, this is, this is the first day on the job as a GM. has nothing to do with football, but I'm trying to figure out the fields. So a lot of things start to come up that you just had never really thought about. But like Les said, um, a lot of it is that time management aspect. Uh, I think when I was first hired there, I thought since they hired me, I need to do everything on my own. And it probably took me the first year to realize, you know, we, you, know you hire some great people to work with you let them do their jobs, you know, kind of give them a vision and let them work. You can't possibly do it all on your own. You have to trust the people you work with. But um, yeah, there, there's so much time management that goes on during the day that, uh, you know, everybody comes to your door. It's usually not to tell you, hey, you're doing a great job. They usually have a problem or an issue that has to be taken care of. So it's a lot of putting fires out during the middle of the day. Yeah, absolutely. So, so with, the, uh, with the idea of working with your you know, new scouting staff, um, so how much work did you have to do as far as creating a new structure and a new program for how your scouts, your new scouts, were scouting compared to, you know, the team that you were at before? Uh, you know, that was, that's a, a never-ending process, really. I'm still working through that going into year four. But um, I know when I got to, the, to San Diego, um, the first thing I want to do is, is get to know the scouting department, the people that were there, the personnel that was there. I just didn't feel like it was the type of thing where you need to right away go in, clear everybody out and start over, bring everybody in that you know and work from there. There's a lot of talented people at different teams. Um, I want to get to know them a little bit better. So went through that first draft and through draft meetings, getting a feel for their personalities. Uh, we didn't want to make too many big changes. To front. I, I got hired in January. The draft is in April. We didn't want to make too many big changes with our scouts because we didn't, it, it just, I didn't think they could handle it at that point as far as changing reports, changing grades changing the verbiage, how we do things. So the first draft is really suit of our pants. And then after that, um, you know, new database, um, new reports. Um, you know, we use a, a number, uh, a grading system with numbers and colors and, and keywords, and, and, and we have a chart on that. And, and a lot of it was, was uh, hiring a director of college scouting to teach that uh, to those guys, because that's not something I could do every day. But, and then really, each year after that, I was trying to add a little bit more. I, I just felt like, uh, to come in and change everything right away, I didn't think they were going to get the results we wanted to. I kind of wanted to kind of stair-step it in and move it that way. Um, 
and, and, and it's, it's so far, it's worked. Now, year four, there's still some things that we haven't done yet I still want to add in, um, but we're, we're still getting there. Unless you, so the other day when we spoke, you talked a little bit about the language of scouting. And so how did that change going well, from the Falcons to Rams? Scouting's pretty simple. It's you have a rating system, uh, whether you use numbers, colors. And I've had psychologists or industrial psychologists tell us that we're all messed up because we use numbers and colors, and you probably should just stick with one. And you have verbiage that explains how you're going to rate a player. And I explained that. And, and as Tom said, your timeline's a little funky in terms of if you really want to get this right is a lot of GMs get their new job in February or January or whatever it is, and your most important uh, date is in April or even in, let's call it March for free agency. So if I'm speaking and I, in, if I'm speaking English, let's call it English, right? I'm the only one in the building speaking English. All of these guys are basically speaking Spanish. So it was easier for me to go in and go, here's the deal. We're going to continue uh, using what they use, their rating system, and it's easier for me when I'm alone in my office to translate their Spanish to my English instead of going, hey, guys, here's my English. You, better, you guys better learn it quickly, get on the same page here and go. So that's really how I handled it. And then as we transitioned over these next few years, what I did do is uh, not totally implement what we had going in Atlanta, but there was a little bit of a blend of both because I knew we weren't going to have a lot of changeover on the staff, so we kind of blended it so that we could make the transition easier over time. Speaking, going back to, hey, big rocks, we only got so much time on the clock, so let's don't do a 180 right now and totally you know, get this whole place confused. You know, speaking to that real quick, our our first draft, you know, we have all this data, all these reports, everything. Our first draft, like Les said, we're trying to keep things simple. We're in the third round, and, and we're looking at taking Keenan Allen. I just turned to one of our scouts. I just went like, like this, like, like this, and he went like this. I'm like, all right, let's do it. I mean, it's so, you know, all this data is all complex sometimes. It's just uh, kind of like yeah, a gut see, feel. See, sign language, yeah. it cuts yeah. cross all barriers, <laughs> yeah. right? Sign yeah. language is Thumb good. up, thumb down. Completely Thumb universal. up, let's go. Yeah. So, so, that is, so that speaks to the trust level that you had, obviously, in that scout. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you look for in the scouts that you hire and that you develop? What are some of the qualifications? Yeah, you know, um, I get that question a lot as far as how you evaluate scouts. And, and I think the first thing people think of is, well, you take all their grades and you look at where their players were drafted and, and, and try and make a determination off that. I've never really looked at it quite like that. Um, I think it's much more subjective. Uh, you know, we're looking for guys, obviously, that, you know, have a football background and know football well, but people who can communicate very well to us, um, you know, they're, they're communicating to us what they see in a player, and they have to make us have that vision in our head if I haven't seen that player yet. And we have some scouts that are really good at painting a picture uh, for me if I haven't seen a guy on what the player is, what he isn't, um, who he compares to, either with maybe on our team or who he maybe compared to in the league. Um, I think that's a big part of it. I, my biggest part of evaluating scouts is what I hear in meetings from them. Um, you know, the easy stuff is do they get their work done? Uh, do they have all the, every question asked, do they have an answer? Or is all the background done? But a lot of it's just, is just how you can communicate um, in the meetings. Um, there, there's the old um, no one to hold them, no one to fold them. You know, so you, you may stay hard on a guy and just won't give up, but there's certain times you just have to kind of put your flag down and say, all right, you know, the rest of the room doesn't seem like this, you move on. Um, but it's very subjective. Um, 
you know, I don't really go based on, on you know, where guys are drafted, where they had them, but it's, but, uh, it's more of a, of a feel. Yeah. It, it is interesting because you can, you can early in the down figure out if your scouts have a clue of where someone may get drafted. I usually call that, that's the player's IPO. That's where he comes into the league. That was his initial public offering. But you've got to be in the job at least three years to figure out if the scout, you know, if where he says this player is going to end up, the guy actually ends up. And, and that probably at minimum is, is three years uh, down the road. So you don't have a lot of time. It, it you got to be on the job a little bit to figure that out. But I know there's a lot of basketball people in the room. I think when you do have a scouting staff, I like to call it my basketball team. And by that, I mean, we got to have somebody be able, and again, I can't play basketball, never could. And, but we got to have somebody be able to dribble, bring the ball up the court. We got to have somebody be able to get a rebound, box out, and, or, or take the shot. And so in scouting, I know I need somebody who's going to be really connected, uh, that's going to be able to go into a place and vet the players' intangibles. And at least a couple of those so that when you get down to crunch time, as you get closer to the draft and you, you're going to make a big decision, right, who can I send just to make sure we, we vetted the player correctly? And then there's guys who can really evaluate certain positions and all that. So you've got different, like anything, like any job, all, you know, we all have strengths and weaknesses, and I like to keep that staff balanced, make sure we got some rebounders, shooters, and dribblers. Yeah. So we, we had a really good conversation the other day about professionalism. Okay, so how do you keep your – you know, your tabs on your staff as far as making sure that they are, you know, being professionals in the way that they work? Uh, well, with our, you know, the, we have pro scouts and college scouts. Our pro scouts are in the office every day, but our college scouts are out, you know, at a school August through uh, December every day, and we do go through with them as far as how we want them to conduct their, their business on the college campuses because, you know, we're the guest on campus. Um, so if we go in, I saw Coach Helfrick here from Oregon. When our scout goes into Oregon, I want him to go in like it's a business trip. You know, we have to go and do our work, but stay out of their way too. Um, you know, respect their, their areas. I know when um, when I started scouting, and, and probably when Les did too, we still had the older time scouts. They would come in with a sport coat and a briefcase. Um, those days are, are, are kind of gone. But we want our guys to dress appropriately. You know, dress pants, golf shirt. Um, always with a Chargers emblem on there, so when they're at the school, at least they can be identified. You know, they're not just roaming around offices, but um, you know, treat the, the college coaches in the right manner. Um, but it, it, that's important to us, because we know if, if coaches come in to visit us in our, our place of work, we'd want to have, have some respect. We're trying to do the same thing with our guys. We try and teach them how to, you know, how to interact and what questions to ask, what things to stay away from um, with, with people. But I think that's important just with the professionalism of, of what we do. It's, it's a little more than just, just, just football. So, so to follow up on that and, and to kind of pivot just a tick, um, fantasy sports and prolific data seems to have turned everybody on the planet into a general manager. Um, the ubiquitousness of the you know, combine and the draft as well. So does that make your job, you know, your, maybe your interaction with the media, like any more difficult? Um, you know, what, I mean, what's your take on that, Les? Do you think that that, uh, that, that impacts you at all? At the end of the day, I don't think it makes it more difficult as long as and that's that's a subset of noise, but it's also a subset of, you know, it's entertainment, it engages our fans, uh, it makes what we do uh, exciting. It, it, so it, it's good for the sport in terms of growing the growth that I think uh, ownership wants. 
So at the end of the day, it's nice. Now, is there a, a lot of people who think they can do your jobs? Yes, and some of them maybe could do them better at, at times. But I think, I think you just got to stay, uh, at the end of the day, believe in what you're doing, your foundation, the plan you have, and uh, time will tell whether it works. So you, you try not to listen to that. And so I don't think it makes it harder, you know, at the end of the day. Have you seen any, um, so data analytics seems to be, and scouting seems to be the point where data analytics has really you know, kind of you know, tried to get their inroads. Um, so people who you know, are working with data, um, do, do you see a lot of people trying to get scouting jobs through that avenue? I think now so more than ever, uh, the last couple of years. Um, you know, for us, when it comes down to scouting, I mean, there's, really, there's four things that we're looking at with the players. So the evaluation of them, basically just using your eyes and then background, um, medical and then the analytics part of it uh, for us. So it's, it's, it's one thing we use. It's not the biggest thing by far. Our biggest thing we use really is, is the evaluation with your eyes. But we do use the analytics and the numbers. Um, it has gotten bigger and bigger. I think it's great to, because scouting is just it's so subjective. Um, but to add in some, some data that can actually bring some objective into that, um, it's great in our meetings. Um, it brings great counterpoints. We have tons of scouting cliches. I'm sure there are in other sports that you've been heard say for 20 years, and, but when you back up the data, it doesn't back it up anymore. Um, so it, it stimulates great conversation, but um, it's something that there's, we get so much data, and every year there's more and more, and from the combine we receive so much information, we sometimes have to decide what's too much. Um, there's measurables and data collected that we may get, we don't use it all, and we have to decide what we like, what we don't like. So in, now Les, we talked about your data analytics program the other day just a little bit. Um, so you have uh, all the domains that you're obviously you know, looking at for your um, draft picks as well. Can you t speak to a little bit more about like the data analytics program that you guys have? You know, it's we uh, it's interesting because we're we're at a, I love this building. It's a cool cool building, and probably in the last three years we've hired if we call it uh, probably inappropriately their room, which looks a little bit in a very miniature scale like this room. We call it the nerd's nest. But we've got four guys uh, and a gal uh, from Georgia Tech. So three guys and a gal from Georgia Tech who uh, all are passionately love uh, sports and football. And, uh, and they're basically our analytics team. And, and like that basketball team, you, you've, you've got, they've got different skill sets, which is pretty neat. So we definitely use it. Uh, it's coming our way. I think it's, it's been awesome to be able to take all the subsets of data that we've gathered for, for many years and measure them and then, you know, compare them, you know, I call it the past, present, and, and obviously future. And I think what it does is it help you, helps you minimize risk. But let's say we're measuring, nowadays, as you all know, we're measuring, there may be 50 variables that we're measuring and we're comparing to. And uh, at the end of the day, I say that sometimes it's good just to go ask the, if, nowadays referred to as the old school scout and say what did he look like on film because that's the moment where all 50 of those variables come together get in rhythm and it's like an orchestra and all of a sudden you know the trombone player over there is mixing with the trumpet player and they have a nice song so all you really had to do is go watch the film because that's where all those variables are actually coming together to perform but like Tom said I think it's nice to go if something's not matching now there's a problem, you need to dig into it. Helps you minimize risk is what we're all looking for. So one of the things, and uh, each of you kind of pointed this out, 
um, character, measuring character. You know, how do you go about that? It's difficult. It really is. And I wish there was a, we talk about all the time as far as maybe coming up with, you know, we don't grade character. I know some people do. We, we, we may, we've kind of researched a little bit as far as how we do it. A lot of ours is just good old-fashioned investigative hard work and talking to the people. You know, at the combine that we go to, we can talk to the player for 15 minutes. Um, there's no way you can get to the core of a person in 15 minutes. And I don't care if that person is a psychologist or not. You know, especially people like us. I mean, I'm not going to be able to figure out a, a player in 15 minutes, but we believe heavily on talking to the people that, that know these players and been with them the longest. Maybe a coach that had been with that, that program for four years with a player, or maybe the coach that recruited them who knew the player in high school. And part of your scouting staff is if you keep them in the same areas for a long time, they get relationship with college coaches so they can trust each other because we have to trust the information we get from people. Um, and we just try and delve in and get as much as we can, get as much sources as we can and put it all together. And then we'll tie that in with, with psychological testing, which we believe heavily in. Um, and we'll tie that in. And, and, uh, but it is, it's a difficult call. Um, there's uh, not only is there a huge amount of money we're putting into these players, but it's money and time and, and roster. And, and uh, you can't afford to miss on these players, especially when you're higher in the draft. Um, so, but a lot of ours is just good old-fashioned hard work. Um, but it's something that we're constantly trying to get better at because just evaluating an athlete, um, you know, a human evaluating a human, you're never going to be right 100% of the time. You won't be right 60% of the time. But we feel, you know, medically and character-wise, we can mitigate our risk, increase our odds if we can get that part right. You know, we're not bringing players with, with heavy medical. We, we do a lot of analytics as far as medical risk with players. We rely on that heavily. The character part, we can get the character of the player right, it's going to help us increase our odds in the evaluative part just because we know our eyes are always going to, aren't going to be right 100% of the time. Right. Yeah, we, we, it's interesting because we use, you can bring guys in and, and, and we do a personality test, which, and we do psychological tests, and I think that the NFL has done a nice job of developing one that's really helpful, and we've had a few in the past that we've used that are more probably of military background. But the personality thing's big because I think a lot of times in the 15-minute interview at the Combine, that can fool you the most. I'm an introvert a little bit myself, and I know that the quiet guy at the Combine in 15 minutes, somebody may not like, but he may be a warrior, and you just can't get that. So that, that's, I think, I think you, you miss players on, on the quiet guy who may really be a, a warrior. And then I think we have the mental testing to see how smart these humans are because you've got to be able to think quickly and process things quickly and spit it out quickly. We have those tests as well. And then I, the old school vetting, and I, I like to, as Tom would say, we, I, I call it vetting. Let's, but if we ever have a question, I like to send one of our guys, uh, and we got a couple of guys that are, that's their role, go back to the hometown. Spend four days if you need to. Come back and tell me if everybody in that town is pulling for that kid. because especially guys in baseball, basketball, and here, you're getting, we're getting young kids, and I always go, I tell our, uh, athlete, our director of athletic performance somewhere in the audience, and I always tell him, the rental car companies have got it right. They won't let you rent a car until you're 25 for a reason. So their algorithms have helped us. So we're getting these guys at 20, so I just need to know if we can weather the storm as they mature to 25 and 26. And a lot of times I use the old litmus test if everybody in the hometown's pulling against the kid, uh, we'll, we'll move on. But 
So evaluating players, and now, so the, the, the role of the GM you know, today obviously means that you have a lot of staff who work for you who are very technical in their jobs. Um, and you know, a lot of people in this audience are, have the same positions. Um, so medical, psychology, how, how do you, uh, having not been necessarily trained in those fields, how do you evaluate those staff members? Well, um, that's, that's, we talked about that on the phone today. It's a difficult question, especially when you get down to, uh, you know, your team doctors, medical. Um, I will say with the psychological, we, there, there's some different um, cross-checks you can use. We, have, we use a psychologist we've used for years. Uh, the NFL now has, has their own psychological testing. We use that as, as, a, as a checks and balances. But, um, you know, the medical part of it's hard, um, especially in our game where there's, you know, injuries can really affect your team performance-wise. And, you know, obviously I have no medical background. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we, we get numbers as far as, um, you know, times missed, uh, recovery time, how guys are coming back. But in the end, again, I think it's a lot like scouting. It's a lot of it is, is gut feel as far as with, you know, how you feel about your people, your training staff, your doctors. Um, you know, there's also where I can call other people in the league and talk to them about things. But it's, it's difficult. It really is. Because, like I said, I've, I'm a football guy at heart. I came up a football guy. I came up a scout. Um, I have a degree in business management, but I have no medical degree, no psychology degree, no law degree. Um, I wish I had a law degree to help with negotiations. You know, you always negotiate with an agent with a law degree. You know, it's a football guy with, with an agent, you know, not always a, that's why sometimes things get a little bit, you know, I got an agent telling me a guy can't, can or can't play, which, you know, sometimes will set me off a little bit. And then I got me telling him about different clauses and contracts that may set him off a little bit. But, uh, um, but no, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's part of running a company. It really is, and maybe relying on some outside people too, and relying on some outside uh, counsel. I think uh, Reggie Scott's in the audience, so it's simple. I told Reggie this year we drafted a guy named Todd Gurley, so I said you'll have a job as long as Todd doesn't get hurt again and he plays the rest of the season. <laughs> so that's simple. Now, so Reg, Reg, I, I tell Reg should not. Let's just take uh, director of athletic performance, and he's in the training should never be judged on wins and losses. And at the end of the day in our sport, uh, you know, let's call it traumatic injuries uh, that occur because that's just going to happen. Uh, but I think there's different – he's very innovative, so you can see, let's take – as he tries to predict a player's health coming out that you may draft, how successful is he with those predictions in terms of, you know, early prognosis to, to long term. But I also think – the practices and the innovations he's putting in to uh, get our players well and how soon they come back and how, you know, how they stay. So you, you, see, you can measure that. You see that, you see that occurring. And I, and I think what he's done, which is awesome, is put together a, a plan on especially using all the ways of where our player's at on a giving day and working with our head coach who's been a head coach for 20-plus years. And, and see those two work together and actually change practice schedules and actually let guys have sit guys out uh, when, when they should sit out according to his staff and the coach actually saying, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. So that, that's been the, the, uh, the biggest way you measure those guys. But I don't think for support staff it should be wins and losses or, or anything like that. That's, that's, that's on some of us above. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so just a few more questions before we uh, take some questions from the audience. 
So where do, you, where do both of you go to learn outside of football? So, I mean, obviously you can come to events like Leaders, but, you know, where else do you go? Do you have, you know, different sources? Yeah, I, I love, um, I love, like, to network outside of our sport because not, I can't necessarily call Les and, and ask him, hey, uh, how's your, your, your database or how do you do this with your player development? So, um, I'd lie to him. <laughs> no kidding. We don't use a database. Yeah. Legal pass. <laughs> but um, I've spent a lot of time with people in baseball. Uh, we had some contacts through there. And, uh, you know, baseball, as far as how they scout, they've scout so many more players than we do, uh, much younger players. Um, but I've got a lot of feedback from, from, from baseball GMs, uh, scouting directors. Uh, we'll send out our medical staff to meet with medical staffs at baseball teams. Um, I'm a big basketball guy. I love basketball. I haven't been, had a chance to meet with very many basketball people. But um, there is so much you can gain. Because, look, we're all in the performance industry. It just happens, you know, our ball is, is oblong and their ball is round. But it's the same thing. We're working with athletes. Working, it's all people business. We're working with people. So um, it's invaluable to me. Uh, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to come up to this, you know, to even meet some more people in different industries. Uh, because in our job, you know, there's always something going on. It's hard to take a step back and, and look at what you've done and try and make some adjustments. You're always going on to the next thing. You do have to take some time, get outside your bubble a little bit, talk to some people, and, and get some new ideas. And that's one thing is if you know, I was with the Colts for uh, 15 years, we were a very stable organization. Uh, nobody really left. I mean, we really never brought anybody in. So we start all kind of think together and think the same. And that wasn't always good. Um, it's nice to get some outside ideas every now and then. And we felt like that. So we felt like, hey, like, we got to get out and meet some people. You know, we've been all working with these, the same people for 15 years. Let's get some ideas. You know, we got to stay on, stay on edge here. Yeah, I think, think that's a great idea because I, I used to, I say, I used to love to read. Four years ago when I got this job, I don't know if I've, <laughs> I don't know if I've read anything. Because uh, the time just happens, so, and that's that's an understatement. I've done some reading, but you used to be a guy that was going to read if, however many books a year, and now you're like, wow, I'm I'm losing. So I do have a creative thought was because we're relocating to L.A. Was okay. Now I've been hearing about the commute times in this area, so I was thinking, okay, it's a great time. You're quiet in your car. Most people hate it out here, I'm sure, but I'm like, you know what? That may be a time to catch up on some TED talks and some, you know. You know, you got the, the tapes of the professors, the great teachers in, in different expertises uh, in the world. And it doesn't have to be <coughs> other sports. It can be business. It can be the medical field. It's just when you listen to smart people who are passionate about their trade, their focus, whatever it is, and they're making a di innovating in that field, I think we all learn. Because when, when we all talk to each other, it gets down to the same fundamentals. Uh, what, and, and, it, and that's just dispersed across a lot of different fields. Yeah, one of the first things I did when I got the Chargers job is I called the Padres and met their GM. And I've had a chance to spend some time with the Dodgers, so I think that's just a huge part of the job. In that knowledge share. Yep. So, so only a hard question, hopefully, of the, uh, the session. Biggest mistake you made as a GM? Line them up. I mean, I've <laughs> only been doing this, you know, going on four years, right? I mean. Yeah. You make so many decisions through the course of the day, and if you're right 60% of the time, you probably go to the Hall of Fame. So four out of 10, you're, you're blowing. So, I mean, it, it's, there's so many, so many things. One thing I was thinking about, this came up the other day, actually, because it's always kind of funny, but when I was scouting, you know, I was a younger scout, uh, there was a quarterback at, at Hofstra named Giovanni Carmazzi, 
And he was, you know, academic All-American, big, strong, athletic, strong arm, really productive, Italian, which for me was, was huge. And loved this. I mean, I loved him. Had, had a third-round grade on him, felt great about it. I was a young scout in the meetings, pushing hard for him. The, the, the cross-check scout didn't like him as much. You know, he's stiff. He, he doesn't process real well. And I'm, you know, my young scout, he's academic All-American. How, how can he not process well? Um, he gets drafted by San Francisco in the third round. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I don't think anybody's ever heard of Giovanni Carmazzi, so that probably tells you how long his career was. But we, we have so many of those moments. I've had so many you know, moments with, with the Chargers now. You feel good about a move. You do all your homework. You feel great about it. You make the right decision. It doesn't work out. Um, that's just part of our business. And I, I tell our guys, and I feel the same way, I said we're never going to scout scared. I said we're gonna, I, I love getting back in the batter's box again. We'll go at it again. You know, we're not going to – you know, we signed a certain player, didn't work out. Well, you know, we're scared of that. I don't want to sign another free agent because that last year, that guy didn't work out. It's, that will never happen with us. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of we're fighters by nature, I guess. But uh, now there's just they're, they're so many misses. The thing is, you always remember your misses. The ones that you actually hit on, you kind of always forget. It's always the ones that you miss you always remember. You were supposed to hit on them, right? That's, yeah. That's what you're supposed to do. It's, right. I, I like to say, though, it's, it's interesting because you – we all learn trial by error is how we how we learn and evolve. So you got to make mistakes to get better. Uh, some are worse than others. And, and you had you had prepped us on this the other day. So you, you thought about because there's many of them. But one of them was interesting that I go back to that that helps you in just the whole process. So I'll take it back. It was never when I was working with you, Thomas. But let's go back to Atlanta. There was a moment in time, and and the way we did it then. Uh, the GM, he put us in committees, and we, we did these positions uh, where we kind of stacked the best positions. And I happened to be on the committee for defensive ends. And we had had a coaching change at that point in time. Everybody was new. Nobody knew who was good at what they could do. That's always interesting when you're going through this is anytime everybody's new, you may have never worked with somebody, and now you're relying on that person. You really have no clue if they're any good or not until you actually live with them. But uh, so at that point, we wanted big defensive ends, long ones. We had let a guy named Patrick Kearney go. Uh, so there was a player in the draft that we liked because he was big and long. There was another player in the draft, a running back, Adrian Peterson, who obviously y'all have heard of and is good. And now I wasn't on his committee. But in the draft, there was a moment we could have moved up and gotten Adrian Peterson. And... We chose not to because we did have a very, very glaring need because we had let a longtime Falcon go and Patrick Kearney, and there was a guy named Jamal Anderson in the draft. So because I was a part of that they pick Jamal Anderson, a pick. He goes right at, Adrian goes right before us. Uh, we get Jamal. Jamal starts for four years for us. Uh, maybe Andy picked him up he after did. that. Yep. I don't know if he ever had a sack uh, during that time. Meanwhile, Adrian Peterson probably had.
scouting or being a GM? I guess I'm still waiting for it. So, yeah. you know, it's it's such a it's such a team game. So really, your Michael Jordan moment is until you win a Super Bowl. So, um, you know, I was with one in Indianapolis and it was great, but you don't really have. I can make this one really, really easy, and you know it, it could be 